This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's roundup. No special announcements, so let's jump right in. First up, Stone Age Gamer is now selling a homebrew memory replacement pack for the PCFX. This is based off of Dave Shadoff's open source design and made by Humble Bazooka. The price is about 100 bucks plus shipping, which is a bit cheaper than the originals. Plus, this one does not require AAA batteries, so it's non-volatile memory. You don't have to worry about the batteries dying and losing your saves or anything else. Um, so this is kind of a no-brainer if you have a PCFX and you need a save card. Um, while I think collecting original stuff is always awesome, and if you want to continue to use it, fine, but it just makes sense to me to have a memory card where you don't have to worry about losing saves. But I'm not a PCFX expert, so I'm going to leave that up to all of you. I just wanted to share it because I would imagine that a lot of people would probably, well, a lot of PCFX owners would probably be uh, interested in picking one of these up. Crix recently posted a firmware update for the RGB Blaster that seems to have fixed all compatibility issues as long as you're using the Rev2 hardware. I'm a bit late to the game on this. I'll explain more in detail in a moment. I just want to make sure to get the basics out there for people. So if you buy an RGB Blaster right now, it should be compatible with everything. RGB monitors, HD retrovision cables, RAD2X, RetroTINK 2X SCART, everything if you buy one right now. If you previously bought it, you probably have a version 2 anyway, so this is the firmware to update, and I would consider this now kind of a mature product that I love. I loved it from the beginning, even though it still felt a little bit beta-ish on day one. I loved it then, but now I, I just think it's an awesome, awesome product. Um, the only issue is if you have the original Rev 1, the very, very small batch that Crix sent out when these first came out, I would leave that as is. Now, if you're using that with RGB SCART cables, then there's going to be zero issues whatsoever. It'll probably work fine. The brightness and sync issue might not even be a thing for you. So basically, if you have a Rev1 and it's working, just leave it alone. You have nothing to worry about. If you've had issues with your Rev1, you've probably already contacted Crix anyway. So, you know, I, I have a feeling that Rev1s are pretty much phased out. And I'm going to stop referring to them anytime I talk about the RGB Blaster in the future, just because there were so few out there. And I think everybody who got one kind of was in the loop to the issues that were going on with it. Um, and for anybody that doesn't remember, the RGB Blaster is a device that plugs into Famicom consoles that gets you a high quality RGB output. and the first Rev had a couple of issues, including compatibility with HD Retrovision, RAD2X, 
and RetroTINK 2X SCART. Now, the reason I'm posting about this now is because right after I did that live stream where I tested up to version 4, 0.4, none of these, none of the fixes worked on both revs, but right after that live stream, I mailed my RGB blaster out to the OG phone dork himself to check out, uh, and I I sent him the newer one, Rev 2. So when he sent it back, I immediately tested it with this other firmware that came out within a day or two of the 0.4. So I'm I'm two weeks late to the game on this one. My apologies if you were kind of waiting to buy one of them, but they should be in stock. And uh, as I've shown before, you you can get them directly from Cricks and either use it as is or upgrade to a 3D printed shell made by Humble Pazooka from Stone Age Gamer, or you could just get the whole thing from Stone Age Gamer, including a really nice case as well. So up to you where you want to get it, but all you need to know is pick one of these up and then get a quality Genesis 2 RGB cable or whatever else for it. Uh, And if you want more info on it, just check out the two shorts I did. This is one of the few moments where I really appreciate shorts because me telling you if you want more info, watch two videos means less than two minutes of your time. So it's, you know, that's, shorts have their advantages. Generally speaking, a retro RGB video that goes into detail about something would be like a half hour long. So I kind of feel bad saying, go watch this for more info, but you can give me less than two minutes of your time if you want to know more about how this thing works. Todd from RetroFrog has just made a vertical stand for the original Xbox. And Todd has made a bunch of vertical stands for previous consoles like the Dreamcast, PS1, PS2, and even the RetroTINK 5X. And I think they're neat because I think they're good for people who just want to display their consoles in a unique way and then take them off the shelf and plug them in to use them. Or if your setup would really benefit from vertically oriented consoles. And while I think... You might be safe to use it if you were playing discs with it. It's probably best to use these with ODEs, uh, with the exception of the PlayStation 2, of course, because that was also designed to be done vertically. But, um, you know, I I just, I I think you'll be fine. I think you would be okay. But if you have an ODE, or at least in the case of the Xbox, you're playing off the internal hard drive or something like that, then there would be no worries at all. And Todd definitely checked the heat on all of this to make sure that, using it in a vertical orientation, you know, it's turned the correct direction, I guess, is the best way. So you're not going to have a bunch of heat building up in the bottom to heating up all of your consoles. So I I vaguely remember Todd posting thermal tests on at least one of these stands, but probably more. But anyway, uh, it comes in two different colors and the price is $20 plus shipping. And the colors are meant to match the green and black of the original Xbox. So you can either get you know, that green color or that charcoal black, whatever, but I'm definitely a fan of these. So, uh, yeah, I just, I even think the whole idea of buying this to display your consoles on a shelf and then plugging them in one at a time when you need them. There are so many people whose setups really work best with something like that. And that might be a case depending on where you're displaying these, that the vertical orientation is a big help. Of course, I'm sure a lot of people listening are like, that's dumb. I want everything plugged in all the time. I want auto switching. You know what? That's totally cool too. That's why I love stuff like this. It's whatever your preference is the win. So check it out if you're interested. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
The artwork for the Duke Nukem 1 and 2 re-release on the Evercade was found to be at least partially made with AI, and this brought up a whole bunch of different issues. And this isn't drama, this isn't Skynet's about to take over the world, this is actually a conversation that while we're going to be talking in the context of retro games, might start to affect all of us at least a little bit. So I was really happy to see the article go up in, in, in a non-drama-y way as well. But here's the basic overview, and then here's why this is even worth discussing at all. So it looks like uh, Blaze Entertainment, the company who makes the Evercade console, had hired an artist to do the cover of the Duke Nukem, uh, the Duke Nukem re-release, and you could kind of see some very, very obvious issues, like Duke's finger was molded inside the gun it, you know it's very clear that ai was involved in doing this because no no human would draw duke nukem's finger inside the gun on purpose right so they ended up uh people on twitter kind of came down a little hard on blaze entertainment which is you know that's that's fair right uh but they ended up saying at first they tried not to out the artist who did it and then I think they kind of got um, a little bit too much heat, so they just said, okay, well, the artist is Oscar Manuel, a very talented artist, except when people dug into them, not only does does it look like they're completely aware of it the artist finds found or the artist teaches a course in discord using the tools midjourney and stable diffusion which are two tools used for generating ai artwork so the artist that they hired absolutely used ai uh, at least to help along with it and then just didn't even double check their work just kind of haphazardly just said all right looks good sold it to blaze who you know they could have taken a closer look at that artwork as well. So while I don't think the company behind Evercade did a lot wrong, their QA is certainly up, up for a question at the moment. Kind of makes me wonder, you know, I hope it's a case of they spent so much time on quality testing the product that they skipped over the artwork. I hope they don't skip over the product in the same way. But so... What's the big deal for stuff like this? Well, of course, there's the argument that, you know, many artists might be replaced by AI, but it does definitely go a little deeper than that because an AI-generated image, uh, does that fall under the same copyright? If I pay you, an artist, to make me an image, and I tell you, hey, I'm going to be slapping this on baseball hats and, you know, T-shirts and the stickers on the side of my computer. And you say, okay, that's cool. You're paying me for my work that you're going to resell. I'll sign the contract. But And you say, all right, but you've got to give me 1% of all your sales for it. What if you use AI? Then do you are you still entitled to the money for that? What's the deal? And I I do not know the answer. I am not a lawyer, and I I would be hard pressed to find anybody who really knows the true answers to that. But that's kind of a very interesting conversation that might start to affect stuff. But on the flip side of things, what do we really call AI? So all the time, I'll open up Photoshop and I'll use their auto select tool, which sometimes is brilliant and sometimes absolutely sucks and I have to do it manually anyway, but I'll do that because somebody will post a picture of their new gadget, you know, on their workbench and I'll take the picture of just the gadget. And if it's like, um, an ODE for the Dreamcast, then I'll take one of Evan Amos's pictures of the Dreamcast, float the ODE over it, add a shadow to it. So did I technically just use AI on that? Now that's a dumb example because, uh, you know, I'm just using 
that picture to promote the thing that the people are trying to sell. So even if that was technically illegal, no one's going to care because all I'm doing is using it to sell their products for them. But it does kind of bring up a, a question of where is the line on stuff like this? You know, if I'm, if I'm writing a song and I'm going, man, I just, I can't get the solo right. I'll get it eventually. And I pump it into the computer and I have AI rearrange the notes so I can go, okay, that's a great demo. That's how I want the song to sound. And then I go back and I re-record that part that I was trying to work on, that I got 99% there, and AI kind of filled in a few notes. Did I still write the solo? Did AI write the solo? Like, there's this goes really deep into what the future is going to look like. So while that whole deep thought has nothing to do with retro gaming, I'm just glad that I had an excuse to talk about it, because it's, it's a lot bigger of a deal than than a lot of people make out. Uh, and in many ways, it's less of a big deal than some people are, are making out, making it out to be. So I don't know. I'd love to hear anybody's thoughts on this. But more importantly, I'd love to hear your thoughts on a much bigger platform. You know, uh, if you want to have a conversation with us fellow nerds in the YouTube comments, awesome. I love good conversation there. And there, are, shockingly, are many good conversations in these comments. But I actually think this is a much bigger deal and something that we should definitely be talking about in a more public space just to try to get this info out there. And just a polite, respectful suggestion Try really, really hard to be patient when discussing stuff like this because it's so easy to come across as a troll when you're discussing hot topic issues like this. So if it's like, oh, it's AI, you know, the, the developer or the, the artist scumbag to the developer out of it, you know, it's, it's so easy to go down that road when we really should be talking about the more important longer term issues involved in it. So I can't wait to see where this one goes and, you know, have at it. A physical version of the Dreamcast 240p test suite is now in stock at Video Games New York, available for shipping absolutely anywhere, not just for people in New York. The price is $25 plus shipping, and it'll work on all region Dreamcasts. This features the awesome artwork from Pepe Salo, and it has the latest version of the Dreamcast test suite on here. So this is one of these things where if... You know, obviously the 240p suite is free. Anybody could download it and burn it, burn it onto their own disc, no problem. And if you would like to support the project, you could either tip on Itch.io or you could support monthly on Patreon, which I really hope most people do because this is the greatest tool written for old school video game consoles. People like Steve from RetroTech and myself would have a really hard time doing our jobs without it. And I think many people that try to tweak and customize their setups or even just test basic things rely on this heavily so please support in some way but 25 bucks to have a physical edition with some cool artwork with a nice quality burned cd so that you could you know you could confidently use them in the dreamcast without worrying about some you know leftover ten dollars for a hundred staples branded cds that are probably terrible for your dreamcast laser at least you could have a, a quality one made for it so as you can tell, I'm a fan of stuff like this. So yeah, if you would like to support and if you would like a physical copy, pick it up. You absolutely don't need to. Artemio make sure all of this stuff is open source and free, but it'd be pretty cool if you helped out and got a very cool piece of you know original game, if you will, uh, as a result too. So definitely check out the post and links for more info. I just did a live stream review of Electron Shepard's Xbox to HDMI dongle, and holy crap, did it perform great. I absolutely was impressed with the video quality output, and the price 
is $32 plus shipping, which is barely any more than the junk garbage adapters you see on Amazon and AliExpress. So if you have the patience to wait for a pre-order, these should be out in fairly soon, probably by the end of the summer. I would definitely pick it up. But when these go back in stock, I think these are going to be the go-to Xbox plug-and-play HDMI adapters for people that would like something like that. So I, I tested it in all resolutions, and all resolutions worked perfectly. The brightness was excellent, and the black levels they outputted exactly as it should. Since there's no cable, it's just a direct plug into the back of the Xbox. There's no interference issues because there's no worrying about low-quality unshielded cables like some of the garbage Amazon adapters that I've tested over the years. The only issue I had, my capture card did not like the digital-to-digital -digital audio but my TVs did. It worked perfect with no dropouts whatsoever. So the version that you will be pre-ordering, not the one, not the, the older version that I had tested here, will have a switch that toggles between analog and digital audio, which is just the perfect solution because I cannot imagine a scenario in which using the analog audio would cause issues. So basically set it to digital, plug it all in, it's probably going to work, but there's going to be a fringe use case where something doesn't like the digital to digital audio conversion. So just unplug everything, uh, power it off, flip it over to analog, plug it back in, you're good to go. The only thing I would suggest is if you're playing a game that, uh, if this is like your TV or your AVR doesn't like digital audio, try it per game because there could potentially be a scenario in which the, the boot audio crackles and, you know, you're booting the game and something's weird, but you get into the game and then everything's perfect. And because of the different types of digital audio that's used, or if you're watching a movie or something like that. So while the people that have issues with this are probably going to be on the lower side, it's definitely so. And also it depends on the revision of Xbox you have, whether you run into more or less issues. But I would just give this one a chance because digital audio could gain you some advantages if you're using a surround sound system or if you just want really clean audio. So I would just, you know, if, if you buy this thing and you plug it in and you get a little crackling or something, mute it, get into the game, unmute it, then see what happens. And at least you have a backup. But that's way more than a lot of these other adapters do. You know, that adapter on Amazon and AliExpress that are branded, it's usually the same exact thing branded 10 different ways. That's only using analog audio because they want to avoid all this. They'd rather not spend the extra dollar to put a switch in there and go through, you know, the extra couple of bucks on a circuit. They'd rather just get the easiest, most compatible ones so they don't have to deal with your support calls. So you lose out on digital surround audio and a lot of that other stuff. So I wanted to over-explain that just to let people know this is a good thing that Electron Shepard is allowing us a switch to toggle between them because they're not taking the lazy route that these you know, lower-end companies take to do stuff like that. So, and by the way, I'm not talking about one company in particular. There's no like hint going on. I'll, I'll call companies out when I need to. I'm just talking about you type in Xbox, original Xbox HDMI and AliExpress, eBay, and Amazon, and there's a ton of junk that's all basically the same thing. That's what I'm referring to. Uh, so overall, I thought it was absolutely awesome. Uh, very impressed that something so inexpensive could uh, uh, could perform like that. And then I'll be doing another live stream soon to test his Wii version of the same the same basic thing. The only other thing to add is I was concerned at first about strain relief when looking at it. But there is no issue. It's 
about the same size as the original Xbox AV plug, you know, the actual big plug end, which was pretty huge. So unless you're using like a, you know, 4X shielded 100 pound HDMI cable, there should be no issue. A normal, well shielded HDMI cable with, you know, some weight to it should not put any pressure on that port. Um, you know, if you're worried, you could always jam some cardboard underneath, but honestly, it's probably the same as the original Xbox's plug, so you wouldn't have to worry about that. Some bad news, though, not Electron Shepard, but I did that live stream where I tested this as well as the two new Behar Brothers boxes, which had a bunch of issues, and I still haven't heard back from Yossi about it. Which sucks, because you know, I wanted those to succeed. I wanted those to be amazing, because I, I love the idea behind them, but... 720p and 1080i really didn't work at all. There was interference in 480p, and I think interference that wasn't there before. So I think that means there's an issue with the shielding on the pigtail adapter they were using, but also the brightness issue is still there on both outputs. And I tried, actually on all four outputs, because I tried both versions, each as a dual output. So un unfortunately, the Behar brothers need to really redesign that and get the brightness back up to spec and everything working. And that sucks. I wanted it to do really well. I've been a fan of their products forever. Um, and I kind of wish they had sent that to me before they had released it to the public so I could help test. But, you know, as much as I feel bad giving a negative review, it's a product that's already out and being sold. It's not, I would never have done that if it was a prototype or like I usually do, I would put prototype all over the stream and everything else. But no, so if you've bought one of those, double check the brightness, double, double check in multiple resolutions. Maybe the two they shipped me were bad, but really, what are the what are the chances of that, right? The last shipment and this one both somehow getting bad, and you know, I tried both pigtails, both boxes. So yeah, that was disappointing. Um, I was really I wanted those to be awesome. I loved the features on them. I just. I don't know. Hopefully they can go back and, and kind of fix everything that's wrong with them. Voltar even offered to take a look, but I didn't send it over until I just wanted to wait for EOC to get back to me. So yeah, I don't know. Anyway, uh, if you want to check out the live stream, go right ahead. However, everything I just said here summed the entire live stream up in less than seven minutes. So maybe don't waste your time unless you're a super nerd like us. But <laughs> anyway, uh, definitely consider the Electron Shepard one if you want a plug-and-play Xbox solution. The internal HDMI is going to give you, of course, some advantages, but if you're looking for a plug-and-play thing, $32 for something that performs this well, can't get any more fair than that. The Sega Saturn optical drive emulator called the Fenrir is now back in stock, and the version that's currently being sold is the Duo version, the one that's compatible with both 20 and 21-pin versions of the Saturn, which I think is absolutely awesome. I originally reviewed the Fenrir right upon its release, and while its basic features and installation is the exact same as I showed in the video, there's been a bunch of firmware updates, it's been streamlined a little bit, uh, said keeps teasing the Wi-Fi loading support, which I would love to give a try at some point. Uh, obviously a massive fan of that. So um, it's the reason I'm talking about this now is because when I saw in the Castlemania newsletter that they were back in stock, I went, oh, let me write a quick post about this. And then I went, well, what was the last time I, I wrote about the Fenrir? And I realized... I don't think we talked about the duo or maybe we didn't. I just forgot about it. It happens every now and then, but I felt bad because, you know, sometimes we all just get busy and we mean to, to do these write-ups and I have a backlog of probably 30 articles I've been wanting to write so bad about different things, but 
We must have let this one slip through the cracks. So my apologies to Sed, to Castlemania, and everybody. It was not intentional. To all of you, of course, who've been waiting on something like this, it's, I consider it my job to, to let everybody know, like, hey, it's back in stock, or here's a new model, and I, I feel bad if somebody was waiting on something like this, and I just forgot to talk about it. So I wanted to highlight it now. Um, also, you know, price. I've been hearing so much talk about price of stuff these days. The Fenrir isn't something I would call cheap, at $140, but you kind of have to put that into perspective. It's the cheapest Sega Saturn optical drive emulator out there, and it's got all the features that you would want. But, you know, if you download a software emulator, you can play this stuff for free. You could try to find an action replay cartridge and some burned discs if you want to go that route. But really, at the end of the day, how much are you saving if you have a stack of CDs that you're burning? What if your laser burns out? What if you have to replace the laser? So if you put that into context, 140 is actually an incredibly reasonable price for something like this. And it feels weird having to justify the cost, but it just seems like every time I talk about something these days, people just go nuts about the, the price. And I know everything's getting more expensive, and it stings a lot, especially stings when you lose a freaking sponsor for your weekly podcast. But... I also try very hard to keep context in this stuff, and I you couldn't ask for a more fair than one more fair price than one forty for something like this. Um, and I hope to give it a try at some point. Maybe I could borrow somebody's just to give this newer version a try, and maybe mess with some of the Wi-Fi loading just to see what it's like. So maybe I'll find somebody local who's got one already installed and kind of mess around with it and do a live stream. But if you're interested. There you go. Just uh, at retrorgb.link forward slash Fenrir. And that's it. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm just going to skim through these, and if you hear anything that piques your interest, please go back and watch Lou's video, because he's got a bunch more details, footage, and all that good stuff. First up, Pramod has had some problems with the SD RAM on the Williams Y and Z unit core, but was able to solve it by making a frame buffer for DMA. In addition to that, Pramod also solved another problem of overruns on the display out. So that's another target for the core, but now they need to figure out a whole bunch of other stuff. And I just think that's so exciting because the, the Williams units are going to allow for a bunch of games. So uh, a bunch of very cool games. So I'm obviously very excited for that. Also, uh, Hans, the creator of the Mystex project, gave a small update in that if you want to start testing Mystex now, there's a couple of different boards that you could probably start porting cores over to. However, the end user availability for this probably will be the end of next year. And it's because Hans needs to design a baseboard around the Atrix 100T and Kintex 325T. So if you're a developer and you're looking for different hardware to do Mr. Stuff with, please just check out the Mistex project. Check out the interview we did where Hans talks about all of this stuff. Because I really do think that today, right now, it's you know not going to affect the end user. But a couple of years from now, it, this might be the path forward. And if not, I still think it's just a really positive project that does nothing but celebrate everybody else's work. So I, I, I'm a fan. Please check that out. Next up, uh, Rally Bike is now playable on the Mister thanks to uh, Darren O and a Track 17. All you have to do to get it is enable the coin op collection. And it looks like kind of a neat top-down uh, motorcycle game type of thing. I don't know. I, I liked it. I saw the uh, the preview of it in Lou's video, and it, it looked like something I would have some fun with. 
Also, with Track 17 mentioned that development work for a bunch of games, Demon's World, Flying Shark, etc., is about 80% complete. They just one more chip needs to be finished. After that work, we'll start on Flying Shark and Twin Cobra. Uh, and the game Wardner is also linked, but was not mentioned as a future project, but kind of could be if they went through the trouble of doing all of those. Um, next up, Hotego gave an update on the Neo Geo Pocket Core. We're not going to have a public beta this week, but um, there are there is a lot of progress coming along. He booted into the BIOS. Turns out the Neo Geo Pocket's even weirder than people thought. So, you know, if you're, if you're into the technical side of things, definitely follow Hotego on social media and, and consider signing up for the Patreon because he gives some pretty good inside info. Also, uh, Robert has given a bunch of updates on progress for the N64 core, and he's making it, you know, taking step by step forward. So I don't think it's going to be anything anytime soon, but it's really neat to see this start to progress. Next, Pierco released a beta for the Kickin' One Arcade Core, which is a soccer game by Taito. There's still some bugs in it, but it's totally playable, so you should be able to just download it from the public Patreon post. Just a side note, too, a lot of people with Patreons um, put their posts as public so that people could still get the information all in the same place, but if you decide to support, then you can just right there, which I think is a really awesome idea for a lot of this stuff. And lastly, Anton Gale fixed some bugs for a whole bunch of games on the Taito System SJ Core. So as usual, thanks so much for Lou to, or to Lou for keeping up with all of this stuff, because I certainly couldn't, and it's really awesome to just have all of these very cool Mr. Updates all in one place, all at the same time. So thanks, Lou. Please subscribe to him. Loadword team has just released a complete translation and retranslation of Ace Combat 3 Electrosphere. This game was translated into English, Spanish, and Italian. So right off the bat, I'm always super appreciative of anybody who translates any game into any language, but translating it into multiple is such a big deal. And the project was pretty massive. It took four years and all three scripts were based off of the original Japanese script. So what happened very often back in the 90s and I guess 80s as well was games that were originally in Japanese didn't have the best translations. Oh, some did, but a lot didn't. So it's very common to go back and kind of have people who are fluent in both English and Japanese go, that's not what they said or, you know, that's not what the original was. So this this is a translation that tries to go back and fix all of that, but they really went above and beyond. Absolutely everything, cutscenes, search features, and even the the appendix, appendix, I don't, know, I don't know how you say it, but and even the manual was retranslated. So this was a definite massive project. Um, links to the patch, how to patch your original PlayStation game, and all of the other info you need is on their main page. I posted just the basic um, overall bug fixes and release notes on here, but really you're going to want to just go to the main page. And if you're looking for a demo of it, you could just check out the trailer that they had put out for it as well. That kind of gives a, a couple of minutes idea of of what to expect but this was really impressive this was obviously a ton of work and uh it's just kind of neat to see i think what might be fun is if you've never played the game before maybe play the original playstation version for a little bit and then play this translated retranslated version and see if you notice the differences and stuff like that i think that might be kind of fun maybe i'll if i ever have extra free time i might just do that on a stream for the heck of it one day but you know congrats to load word team that was a lot of work and uh thank you for sharing it with us
Well, that's it for this week. As always, thanks to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to everybody who supports, because it is really you who is keeping all of this going. All of you monthly supporters and people who take the time to click on affiliate links are now the official sponsor of Retro RGB and the weekly podcast, so thank you all so much. Well, I, I like cracking jokes about this stuff because I'm just weird and silly and like making myself laugh. I do genuinely mean thank you. I love doing this. I love being a part of this awesome scene, so thank you all for allowing that to happen. Um, I'm going to continue to try my best and try to get better. So thank you all very much, and I'll see you next week.